This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at uctv.tv slash careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and those in career transition bridge to better employment. Uh, I just wanted to check, if you're uh, an employer, private sector employer, public sector, nonprofit employer, could you just raise your hand just so I see a good number of folks here today, and we had some great examples from that. I'm going to mostly be talking about, um, about employers' roles in this and how we affect employers' roles and are affected by that. So it's, it should be relevant to the other groups represented in the room as well. But um, really, it goes to this issue of quality jobs. Is it, can we make it a stronger pathway to the American dream? And, and I, I'm just going to start out by giving you my, my own take on this, which really comes from my own family's background and history, uh, my father uh, w- grew up in a small town in Wisconsin that I also grew up in, Mabel, Wisconsin. And Mabel Metal Products Company hired him as the seventh employee when he came back from the Navy in uh, World War II. And his job was simply to be a welder. Uh, and they were putting stilts on 55-gallon drums so that they could bring diesel to farming as farming was increasingly mechanized. His employer who owned the company and expanded that company over the years saw a talent in him and allowed him to develop so that before he was done, he was one of 700 employees of this company. So they'd grown from seven to 700. And he was director of estimating and engineering. And this is one of the patents that he helped develop with the company. Emelin Popovich is is my father over there. There was this period of time, and there were very many employers who provided this escalator for an individual employee, their family, and the children in that family to progress in in terms of economic and social mobility. Um, There was particularly a strong part of of the social contract between employers and employees in that prosperous period after the war and before 70 when things began to change some. Now I'm gonna take you for a quick look at uh, what's the impact when that doesn't happen. This is uh, information from Urban Institute study on economic and social mobility. The never poor category are people who were children during a period of time who never, their family were never in poverty. The ever poor but not persistently poor they were under 50% of the time they were in poverty, and persistently poor, they were 70 to 90% under poverty. If you look at these results by cohort, you can see how that high school diploma rate, a huge indicator of what's going to happen during that person's life, drops off depending on their, the children's persistent uh, condition in poverty. But I think even more so, if you look at the, the, the third section over, of the people who were in the persistently poor category as children, 55% will be persistently poor based on the data that's here. 55% are not, 45% are not persistently poor, 55% are. So the poverty, the second generation focus of your initiative, that your strategy here, that's an important part of it, and it's what you can see as we look at data over the past. Now let's look at a little data for San Diego and see what your future may hold. I pulled these numbers uh, yesterday, actually, in terms of these are the MIT's living wage. What, was it, what would it take to earn an income that would allow you to be in the living wage category or above for San Diego? So for one adult with no children, 32000 and 
and $15.61 an hour. One adult, one child, $65,031 an hour. Uh, that's a little. That's significantly under the median income for this uh, this area. Now let's look at what's projected by the Bureau of Labor Statistics in terms of the fastest growing occupations in San Diego between now and 2026. The blues are all categories of occupations that fall well under that living wage category. And the other color is the ones that are near or above and are, are growing at a, as part of this growth rate. As you can see, eight out of the 10 fastest growing categories of occupations in this region between now and the near future are not paying anything like it takes for one adult, one child, and some of them are falling under. So just think about where that's headed if things stay as they are now and think about the graphic that was just before that about the impact of persistent poverty on, sure, the current generation, but the next generation as well. So I'm going to talk a little bit here now about some work that we did uh, when I was at the Hitachi Foundation on the role of employers. I worked with a corporate foundation. We became very interested in the idea that employers set so many of the conditions of success and so many of the preconditions for people to be a stable work, jobs that allow them to progress in time, that we decided we wanted to dive down really into what was it about employers where the employer was really doing well and doing good in terms of we looked at employers in sectors that had lots of frontline workers and they had uh, earning under 40000 or $45,000 a year. So we were mainly looking originally at manufacturing and healthcare and then we added some retail trade and some restaurant and hospitality. And we were looking at those companies that exceeded their peers in terms of their business outcomes, their financial performance outcome, and at the same time, their frontline workers were exceeding their peers in terms of job stability, job growth, uh, access to benefits, those kinds of things. And what we found when we went in was that it usually didn't start within the companies, these pioneer employers, in, in innovation within the company in terms of human resources. On the contrary, it generally started with an innovation in product or service. What they delivered to the, to the, the, the market was, uh, was what they innovated on. Usually they were moving up in terms of value added. They would then do some innovation in their method or process, uh, and then as a result of doing those things, their workers became more valuable to them because they were no longer just sort of a commodity exchange. We can just lose one and add another one here. They had more specialized knowledge. They were a better fit for the company's culture and ambitions and the rest. And that's why they started increasing the wages, the benefits, uh, the, the improving the conditions of work. Um, and then they would innovate in the human capital area. So this is our publication, Doing Well, Doing Good, that came out of that, um, looking at those issues. I think one of the other reasons why we wanted to look at the role of employers is just if the scale of this problem is what we all know it to be, that's where the resources really are. And let me just give you a perspective on that. We do in this country invest through the federal government uh, uh, in the workforce development system about 
3.4 or so billion dollars a year spread thinly all across the country, and we should certainly invest more in that. So if you had a stack by billions by a foot, it would be about three and a half feet high here. Employers invest $500 billion annually in the development, talent development, and uh, skill building of their employees. That would be the equivalent of the height of the Washington Monument. So if you want to switch 10% of one of those two numbers towards benefiting frontline workers so that they can have the skills and the opportunities to progress, do you want to move 10% of 3.4, or do you want to move 10% of 500 billion? That's, that's the proposition that we were looking at, and I think the proposition that a lot, a lot of you are looking at in terms of if we can influence employers to see their business interest in doing more of this, that's a lot of leverage of resources that we can do. So in order to do that, you need to understand what is a good company and what's a great company. And that really varies by sector, industry, and to some degree, region of the country. So our next phase was to develop something that's a cloud-based system that allows you to a, a business to report in a minimal amount of data that they already have in their uh, data systems and to be rated uh, in terms of the quality of the company that it is and the jobs that it produces. Working metrics is the system, and this is a one-third page of the, what we call the social impact scorecard report. And it shows you that this company is an above-average company, a three-and-a-half-star company, and it's a manufacturing company, so it's rated on the basis of its peers in manufacturing. The blue lines are the performance of the company on the key hard data job metrics, job growth, how many jobs did they have in the beginning period and in the end period, what was their retention rate, and then how have earnings for frontline workers grown over time. And then you can see that on two of those, the earnings and the job growth, this company exceeds their peers, and on retention, it's underneath. We also look at the benefits of the company as well, and we give them credit for that. So we look at the quality of the company overall, and then we look at it by, uh, by gender and by race and ethnicity. We show you the snapshot overall, and then we show you what's the job growth. In this case, it's women's jobs growth is exceeding men's jobs growth in the company, and earnings are about the same. So you can look at diversity, and um, you can look at job quality as well. So we think this goes well beyond if you're trying to engage with companies in terms of the leadership that might be a woman-owned company or minority business enterprise. This looks underneath that and to the employee makeup itself and what is the job quality for those employers. So we think this is a useful tool in part because we think that employers who can produce those outcomes are a better partner in many ways for everybody in the community. It's producing better jobs, obviously, but it's also, we think, material to the business performance of that company. If you look at how their budgets go, a very large percentage of their budget goes to the issue of spending on people, their people budget, their human resources, the workers who work there. If they're making better use of that portion of their budget, they're going to be a better partner in terms of a supplier, in terms of somebody who takes and employs people that you're training, in terms of an investment, in terms of any other kinds of business partner. So, um, 
some action agenda items that we've thought about in terms of pursuing. So, um, so first of all, I think it's really important to get into this question of the narrative that, that um, yes, jobs create opportunities, but we have to be able to improve the quality of those jobs, those eight out of 10 that you saw that are nowhere near the level of living wage that are gonna grow the fastest in this region uh, in the next few years. And then um, change that narrative about what can be done and what can be expected. We also think focusing services on businesses who are these better employers, these high road employers, is a really good idea for educational institutions, for uh, job training, workforce development, and other programs that support workers and support people to get into work. We'd also say this idea of um, procurement is a key aspect in terms of being able to use procurement dollars in the community to move forward the, uh, the, 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 the amount of money that's going to good job employers as opposed to employers who are average or less. And you know, one example is we're working with an anchor institution initiative in Philadelphia. The meds and eds anchor institutions, about $5 billion annually in procurement. They're trying to move $530 million to local procurement in companies who are better quality jobs and more diverse. So you can, you can see how that money talks to businesses and would encourage their adopting these uh, kinds of standards and moving forward those. So um, we also think the same kind of argument can be made on the investment side, the lending and investment side, is to tilt that money towards the companies who are more high-end. And then, of course, we really have to focus in a lot of attention on policies that raise the floor and build the ladders. And by that, we mean raise the floor is those 8 out of 10 jobs that are just way below cost of living, how can we improve working conditions and opportunities within, to move up that level? Uh, and then raising the la building the ladders is in terms of career latticing and other things that move it along. So um, that's my presentation today, and I should take questions now. Hi, I'm Joe Marie Diamond from the East County Economic Development Council. Extraordinary presentation. My question is that Pick your number between 90 and 97 percent of the companies in San Diego County are small. Fewer than 100 people, fewer than 50, many of them. How are you going to do the same thing with the subsection of the group that are, are small and want to do good, but they're not necessarily high-tech gazelles? So how do you reach them and invest in them appropriately? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, in our uh, Pioneer Employers, the, the uh, Doing Well, Doing Good study, we mostly looked at small to medium-sized companies, and we mostly looked at them not in high-tech. And we found a lot of companies in those sectors who could perform this, this magic of, be, of doing well and doing good, outperforming their peers and the rest. And I think that had to do with an orientation around their employees and how they considered cost versus investment and development. So I, I, I believe that... Uh, Small companies in some ways, because they know their employees well, uh, they have this face-to-face -face contact and they understand what the needs are and what the opportunities are. It's like my father being the seventh employee versus the 650th employee hired at that company, is they understood him and they could see his potential and help him develop it. But I, I do think that there are ways that those companies can compete for some of the procurement contracts and for some of the investment dollars that are in the economic development world 
And if we did that where we're not just chasing after gazelles, but where we're particularly where we're not chasing after relocation recruitment, which doesn't pay off very well in the longer term, but we're investing those dollars locally and locally started companies. If we're investing those dollars in locally started companies with a community benefit agreement that they continue to improve their job quality, I think that's a win-win-win all the way around. Quick question for you related to the 10, uh, you, you referenced 10 occupations that are fastest growing here in San Diego County. Uh, and you ended your presentation talking about raising the floor for those eight out of 10 that aren't gonna hit the mark. What did, what did you mean by that exactly? So to, to some degree, just like in the strategic plan for the partnership here is they're looking for, uh, as one marker of success, raising wages within those sectors, in part by encouraging, in some cases, work redesign, in some cases in terms of being able to improve the skills of people so that they can be more productive, as, as, as they will be. But there are also other issues related to work and work quality or job quality. Those are access to benefits, their access to education and training, their access to, for, so, so for example, one of the things is, uh, is uh, agreements that employers are imposing that you, you can't, uh, non-compete clauses. I mean, where we've seen action, for example, on a policy level to preclude non-compete clauses for frontline workers, um, that's generally helped improve uh, wage conditions and other working conditions within the sector. So it's those kinds of practices. But um, there is a publication that we have called uh, uh, Raise the Floor, Build the Ladders, and I'll, I'll refer you to that for some more specifics. I'm wondering, there's a lot of educators in the room. Um, one of our priorities has been to help to um, encourage our students to go into sectors where there's a high wage and a high demand. Um, do you have other recommendations for educators on um, motivating and um, prioritizing um, opportunities for students so that they can get better paying jobs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been a lot of attention to this, this issue of how can we do a better job of counseling students and giving them information to, uh, to make those decisions. There's really a lot of data. Um, I mean, one of the things in building this uh, working metrics tool is that we originally thought we could only use data from companies who had already reported, and it got us deep into the Bureau of Labor Statistics data systems, and we found you know, so much of that data useful. So you can... You can look at, for example, what's the week, average weekly earnings and how has that changed over time within a sector, subsector, all the way down to like four or five digit NAICS code for your region as a whole. And beginning to go through that, that detailed information will give you a sense of how those occupational categories are working out for, uh, for people in your community as a whole and how, uh, how wages growth is changing, how you can actually look at stability in terms of job turnover rates, and you can look at access to benefits. So those are all factors I would look at in order to define a good job, and I, I think all of them are in the strategic plans, things that the Workforce Partnership looks at as well. So understanding what's happening locally in those sectors and in those, particularly down to those occupational categories, and then linking people to the employers who are the better employers within that sector, I think is really useful for uh, training organizations and educational organizations to do. Again, from a foundation, San Diego Continuing Education Foundation, we have a huge emphasis on the career technical trades, welding, HVAC, 
auto and apprenticeships and construction trades. And I was surprised not to see, given our region, and knowing that our just the San Diego Unified School District spends between a million and a million and a half dollars a day in construction, why the construction trades or the technical trades weren't listed in the 10 most um, popular or, or important of our careers. It's, I mean, it's just the numbers that are there. I mean, it's... it's uh, uh, construction occupations are always uh, well w- among the better paid occupations, um, but they're just not that big in terms of total numbers. So their, their growth, even if they're growing at a fairly rapid pace, those were all uh, occupations that are already pretty large numbers. And, and when you're saying growing, you're gr- growing by number, not just percentage. So that's why they show up so big. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look for those really strong, bright spots in the economy, like certain of the trades and like construction, and hopefully someday we'll have an infrastructure investment plan that makes sense so that those will do even better in the time ahead. So I I think it's right to look in that area. It's just like when you pull the actual data, it just shows you that we have to do something about those jobs too.